This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and I'm joined by David, Brady, and Jordan. Got the whole crew again this week. Celebrating a victory week over that school down south, Georgia State beating Georgia Southern 82-77 final score from Handerfield House. Let's start with some just general reactions. How are we feeling? It feels good. It does feel good. Two years in a row on the road after what, since the mid-90s? We talked. I know we talked about it last year, but I forget what year it was the last time Georgia State won. 96. Okay. 96. So, yeah, it's been decades, and now it's happened back-to-back years. But it's not a rivalry. (laughs) (laughs) That game was hilarious to watch because at every point in that game, except for probably the last two, three minutes, you would look at that game and say, wow, Georgia Southern is going to beat Georgia State by, like, 50. And the fact that Georgia State somehow kept themselves in the game and you know even though the, we talked last week about how the crowd for southern could be a factor the crowd was in it for most of the game you know and somehow through playing terribly shooting terribly um i think for the game georgia state was under 30 percent from behind the arc um and to still find a way to win that game is unbelievable. You know, we could sit here and talk about how poorly Georgia State looked, and they did. Um, we could sit here and talk about how there are a lot of things that they need to clean up when it comes to the looks that they're taking. And, you know, they got out-hustled by a team that they probably shouldn't have been out-hustled by. But to find a way to win that game, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I'll be a little bit less harsh um, than David. Maybe just my nature, I don't know. Uh, uh, The things that got you to that win for Georgia State. uh, One, you took 15 more shots. Uh, That's because you got 18 offensive rebounds, and you out-rebounded your plus eight in the rebound margin. And so I think stuff like that, especially because that isn't necessarily something, the rebounding has been better, but it's not necessarily been plus plus eight every night. It's a promising thing to see. And the defense for you gave up 47% from the floor, the first half, Uh, the defense was actually not good in the first half. And what we said before the game was if Georgia Southern shoots, well, they're going to win. And it didn't happen in the second half in the final 12 minutes once Georgia Southern took that 14-point lead on the alley-oop that made Hanner go crazy, the defense really locked in, and this is why I'm going to be more positive. It's just that that stretch of defense and just getting the press, forcing turnovers, and just not really letting Georgia Southern get comfortable on their side of the court, that's why you won, and that's something where, and Coach Linear even alluded to this, It's there was like a light bulb moment for the team on the bench, like seeing it happen and be like, oh, that's that's why you want us to do the things that we practice. And that's why we're supposed to uh, follow this game plan like this on defense, because it was it was a really remarkable thing to watch. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I don't want to sit here and say that I'm super negative on the win. Um, I think you do have to point out the fact that they did get down 14. Um, and they actually at a time got worse in the second half than they were in the first half. Um, Southern did most of their damage in the second half within the first 
five minutes of the half. Um, but then they just went incredibly cold. And it wasn't that Southern went cold because they were still getting open looks. No, you're right. It was that defense that Georgia State had. You know, Georgia State forced 10 second half turnovers. That's ridiculous. You know, and we talked last week about the turnover battle and how it's going to be very important for Georgia State to kind of minimize their their turnovers and force Southern into a lot of mistakes. And that's exactly what they did in the second half. You know, take that and couple that with an abysmal 59% from the line that Southern shot in the second half. You know, you're going to see a team give up a 14-point lead with 12 minutes and 58 seconds left. And that's exactly what happened. I feel like we should talk about the strangest sequence of the game. I think everyone knows what sequence we're talking about. <laughs> oh, definitely. So I'm still not really clear on what happened. So there was kind of hard contact with Cavante Ivory going up to defend on a foul. And it was a foul. And it was possibly a flagrant. It sounded like what happened was Cavante got assessed a technical for some reason that didn't immediately become clear. And so... It was a common foul, and then on top of that was also tacked on a technical foul. So Georgia Southern had four free throws, and they missed all four. It's one of the strangest things I've seen. It really didn't make sense. And I st- because- I, oh, sorry, you can take I still don't really understand how it got assessed. <laughs> like, if it got called a flagrant foul, I'd be like, you know, fair enough, hard contact. Every, every time there's, there's some kind of hard you know foul or a guy hits the ground hard or whatever there's usually a flagrant added because that's just the way the game's legislated nowadays but they call it a technical i just i, I don't understand what was going on there still it, don't it really didn't make sense because they called the common foul on josh linder and then the technical foul on Cavante ivory but one josh linder didn't make contact and two if you're not going to call the flagrant foul on ivory you can't really call a technical foul there. And and the refs talked about it, I swear, for like 10 minutes. And they still, in my humble opinion, got the call wrong. Um, I'll agree with you. I don't necessarily think that it should have been a flagrant foul. But I understand why in today's like basketball landscape, someone would call that a flagrant foul. Um, Ivory did kind of pull the Southerns player's arm down while he was going up. So... If you're literally reading the rule book and staring at that play, I can see why you could say that's a non-basketball move. But, I mean, watching that in real time, it didn't seriously look that bad. That's what, Um, in the business, we like to call a bang-bang play. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But it was just... It was crazy that Southern had four straight opportunities to tack on one point, missed all of them, and then they took the ensuing inbounds and immediately turned it over. Yeah, so this point of the game where that was, there was just under six minutes left. It was 71-69 Georgia Southern led. So they could have pushed it to a six-point lead and gotten possession. They got zero points on the free throws, as we've alluded to. They didn't get any points on the possession because they had a turnover. And then Georgia Southern... Uh, and then Georgia State went down, got fouled, and hit their two free throws, and then it was tied. So that's a massive swing in the game. It super is. And, you know, we haven't really sat here and talked about Georgia State's free throws from the game, but 
at the end of the day, that is what helped Georgia State win. They were much better from the free throw line than Georgia Southern was. And they took 10 less, but they still, were, when it mattered most, were able to hit their free throws. And I would just continue to point out, end of the game, just in general, I think balance was really important because no one really had a shooting game that would be characterized as good. Um, a couple of guys with smaller stat lines shot good percentages, but the starters, Kane Williams was 4 of 11 from the floor, Damon 4 of 14, Justin Roberts 5 of 12, which was the best, and he was 3 of 6 from 3, so that's, you live with that. Um, and Corey Allen was 5 of 16 and 0 of 6 from 3. Uh, but everyone still contributed, and you got five people in double figures and seven guys with between six and 15 points. And on the other stats too, just all across the board, it's one of the more crazy balanced stat lines I've ever seen. Cause you had Nelson had eight rebounds. Corey and Kane had seven apiece. Jalen Thomas had six, a nice six and six stat line from him off the bench in just 13 minutes. Good to see from the freshman. And the final minute of the game, you got a go-ahead, the ultimate go-ahead winning layup from Josh Linder to go up, I think, 77-76. And then Nelson Phillips forces a steal in the backcourt, and Kane gets a layup to push it to 79-76. And those two guys uh, were in the game in the last minute and came up with big plays. And it's nice to see that you can get contributions from even bench guys late in the game, especially in a day where your starters struggled to shoot from the floor. Yeah. I mean, that's a testament to just how deep this Georgia state team is. And you know, we kind of talked about it and we've talked about it all season, but this is one of those games where everybody's cold. So you're just going to have to find a way to get something out of a little bit of something out of, basically everybody you know if you go back and rewatch it i feel like you wouldn't expect kane to have the most points for the panthers but i mean he had 15 and but they just got a lot of contribute <coughs> sorry they just got a lot of contributions from everywhere up and down the lineup and it's encouraging and i think that a big part of the way that this team's identity has developed over the course of the season is that the defense is going to travel and show up on days. And it's going to be most visible. I mean, to say when we have shooting or what Georgia state has shooting days like this, where it's, you're not going to blow anybody out, out of the gym, but you're not also going to let the game get away from you. And even when you're down 14, the fact that they're so intense and keeping that pressure, not letting Georgia Southern get comfortable. Like you said, like, that's the mark of a team that is going to travel well, especially, I mean, you just saw it like against one of the top teams in the conference and against your rival in an unfriendly environment. So, I mean, it was just a really encouraging win in other areas, even though the shooting splits don't really tell a great story. I mean, you led, you led for 226 and you won. You led for just under two and a half minutes in this game. Almost all of which win. were in the fourth quarter. Or uh, all of which were in the right. second half, really. Right, right, right. You know, back quarter of the game. You could have yeah. covered it. We had you back. Um, 
And so I guess in that regard, you got to respect the uh, not wasting any time with a lead. Just the new way of doing it. Just get the lead right at the end and, and don't waste any, like, you can't blow a lead if you don't have it. I don't know. There's something there. <laughs> I think one thing, though, that we haven't even hit on, though, is just how important this game was for the Panthers specifically and kind of the how the landscape of the Sun Belt really changes because they got the win. Georgia State definitely remains like in firm control of their own destiny here. Not that even it's like too, it's obviously way too early to be talking about that kind of stuff. But like if we're in the conversation of the Georgia State, Georgia Southern and Little Rock and South Alabama, like these are the teams that we're going to be fighting for those top two spots, which we've already talked about are so important going into the Sunbelt tournament. Now that the format has changed a little bit that Georgia State coming out here and getting a key kind of like midseason win against their biggest rival and another top team in the conference. I don't think there can be enough said about the importance for, and also think about just kind of in the broader sense of the kind of Georgia state, Georgia Southern rivalry aspect of it. This is Rob Lanier's first game in Statesboro first game against Georgia Southern. And he was able to come in and get that first win, which I feel like not that I have any like concrete evidence to back this up, but just some of the feelings that I saw on kind of like Twitter leading up to the game was that, this was going to be the kind of big first test for him in the eyes of Georgia Southern fans, obviously. And they stepped up to the plate and absolutely, you know, they just did their jobs. Yeah, they definitely took care of business. And, you know, you're right. It is a little bit too early to look at the standings, but in my opinion, we got to talk about it because, you know, I I think it matters. That win put Georgia state um, all results that happened to the weekend standing that win put Georgia state a game and a half behind little rock. Um, and obviously Georgia state hosts little rock at the end of the season, but you know, you're right. That game super matters for the landscape of the Sun Belt because it kind of puts a little bit of separation between Georgia state and, you know, Southern and Arkansas state, uh, has played an extra game. So they'll get a bye week. They're currently half a game behind Georgia state. Um, so, you know, really important game for the Panthers to pick up really important win. And I'll say this, like a win in February is just as important as a win in November as is important as a win in March. Like wins matter on the stat column, obviously like wins are wins, but also the added kind of emotional weight that I'm sure the team felt uh, getting this win, I think really could burn a nice little run here to end the season and make sure that we're, you know, that Georgia state's playing their best basketball at the right time. So I have two points, one relating to the gen, the standings and one about the, the rival, I guess the rivalry, I guess Southern point of view. Uh, the first thing I would say is currently a half game up on Arkansas state and keeping distance on them is actually really important because if they stay up in the standings and Georgia state stays up in the standings, Arkansas State's got the head-to-head tiebreaker on Georgia State, and Georgia State cannot do anything to change that. They only play them once, and they lost that game in Jonesboro. So while Georgia State can still get the leg up on Little Rock because they play the last week of the season, Georgia State will lose tiebreakers to Arkansas State. And so if that's the difference between a two and a three seed or a three and a four or four and a five, which I guess would be the nightmare scenario in this for Georgia State, that matters. And so keeping above them for now, I mean, you still have to keep winning every game, obviously, but having some space away from them when that is at play matters. Um, and I guess specific to this game, I, 
I think that the nature of the loss and the fact that they were up 14 in their own building against a rival in front of a sellout crowd and lost it in such a just a deflating way. I think it's possible that you see a little bit of a swoon or it could impact Georgia Southern and they're still only a game back. All this game did was put a game distance between you and Georgia Southern and there's still half the season to go, but it could be a loss that turns into a couple of losses for Georgia Southern. If you know, metaphorically, you know, it could be a game that they can't shake. And you'd it, hate to see that, wouldn't you? <laughs> what the? It's funny you say that actually, because the South Alabama game that they had just played in Mobile kind of went a similar way. Southern had a lead, and then it kind of went back and forth in the second half, and then they just stopped being able to score. And South Alabama kept putting the pressure on and escaped with the win. So this was kind of their second attempt at. Uh, Figuring it out and closing games out, and they also blew that game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond from screwing up the opportunity to respond, if that makes sense. I feel like there's a segue afoot. I can't put my uh, finger on it. Uh, did you mention South Alabama? <laughs> South did. Alabama. Georgia State plays them next. <laughs> I did. I did. How do we even get here? The conversation just floats so naturally. I, <laughs> super I, I tell you, it's just one of the, the magics of television. Well, while everybody's berating me for my transition skills, this will be a very fun game, I think, for the Panthers to play. Um, especially if they can cont- if they can regain that shooting touch that they had earlier in the season. Because as we've seen the last few games, they haven't really shot the ball well recently, especially inside the arc. I, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's probably something that with a home crowd, they can probably, you know, go back to playing that loose and freestyle fast break offense that they love to play against teams and, you know, keep that pace high. But it'll be very important for them to go back to, you know, improving some of those inside the arc uh, shooting percentages because, yes, they are a great three-point shooting team, but as we saw against Southern, sometimes you're not going to have that. Um, and they were fortunate enough to come out with a win in Statesboro, but you're not going to always have teams that are just going to fold down the stretch. And so you're going to have to keep that versatile style offense. And you know, being able to be balanced shooting outside and inside is very important. Yeah, not everyone is going to gift you missing four free throws in a row. It's just, I mean, that's a... While it's great and fun to talk about, it's like not going to you can't rely on that. And again, South Alabama, I think, is definitely a team that could punish you for falling into a trap of getting down and not being able to build your way back up for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the classic thing to say is you beat this team last time. So are you worried about, you know, overlooking it and being, oh, we beat them last time, but. I don't think Coach Lear thought that they played very well when they played South Alabama just last week, um, week and a half ago, whatever. Um, it was a game where the three-point shooting basically took you over the edge, but it was, for most of the game, kind of like with Georgia Southern, South Alabama played better and got out to a, a decent lead in the middle of the second half, and Georgia State just shot their way back into it. But I'm not sure that the worry would be there for me that this is a game that they are, you know, thinking they've gotten the back. I think the message has been like, 
here, watch this film from the last time. Here's these many things you can improve. Um, and I guess to the point that you were just making, two games out of the last three, Georgia State's shot under 40% from field goal, for field goal percentage. And the other one was against Troy where they shot just at 40%. So three games sort of a trend makes. And so this, this isn't necessarily saying this is who this team is. Obviously, they showed earlier in the year for much of the year that they can shoot a better percentage than sub 40 from the floor. But it's worrying now. I've, I've mentioned it at least once. And I was saying, you know, let's see if this gets sorted. And it's it's now continued. So I don't know how you can really make scoring the basketball a point of emphasis because that feels on the face of it like the point of the game. But it's definitely something, especially because we know that South Alabama is going to throw some of the zone they threw last time that threw Georgia State off their game that, I don't know, if early on, try and work the ball inside, get some dribble penetration and get some easy looks at the basket and see them go in the hoop and maybe that's what it is. But I'm not an X's and O's guy. I can't drop an offense, but. I think that you've got to find some way of not necessarily emphasizing the three early, but getting comfortable looks for your guards because Georgia state needs the guards to be able to drive and finish at the rim. And that's the thing, you know, we talk about three point shooting and, you know, during the stretch where the team has gone a little cold, it's not that they haven't gotten good looks out there. It's just, they haven't fallen and that's fine. Sometimes that happens. You still want a team like Georgia state to take them. But the problem is if you're not getting good looks at the rim and if you're not finishing out there, sorry, if you're not finishing, you know, on the block, the good looks that aren't falling from three, that's, I mean, that's just wasted opportunities at that point. So definitely, getting everybody involved inside, getting those guards moving and attacking the rim will be very important on Thursday. And South Alabama is not where they want to be right now in the standings. They were the preseason favorite. They had a lot of feeling that this was their year to really make a leap and it hasn't happened for them. So I think they're going to come into the sports arena and they're going to be hungry and they're going to, they're going to be a little bit their back against the wall. I mean, they're obviously still in the Sunbelt tournament seedings. They're not out of the tournament, but they've got to make up some ground. It's it's still for the taking for some of the teams sitting in the five to eight range to make a move up into a seed where you get a buy or a buy straight to NOLA. But those teams have got to start winning soon, so they're not going to want to come to these Georgia schools and go Ofer, they're going to want to at least steal one on the road against teams that are currently better than them in the standings. And so adding in that they already lost to Georgia state, it's a, it's just going to be an annoying game for Georgia state. I think, I think they're going to get everything that they can handle. Yeah. I mean, kind of the same things that we said last time when these two teams played, um, Oh, it's still not a great shooting team from the outside. That's as you know, not great as Georgia state has been from the inside. That still is in Georgia state's favor. You know, they still have a good combination of Josh Ajayi and Chad lot, but as long as Georgia state is capable of, you know, minimizing the mistakes, as we said, going at the rim and, you know, if they can finally regain that shooting touch, it's probably going to be another long day for the Jaguars. And we had called this shot 
a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this five game stretch coming up for this team. And we said that four and one was a success. Um, and that's still absolutely in the cards. Uh, you know, after you come out and get this win at Georgia Southern. So the team's playing well in certain areas and there's a pretty clear path to fixing the things that need to be fixed. And I have no doubt that coach Lanier will make that a point of emphasis, cleaning up the mistakes and, you know, just generally trying to be a little bit smarter with the ball on offense um, coming into you know this this next couple stretch of games, but that, like we said, calling that shot four and one is still absolutely in your power. You just have to go out and do it, and you have a good team coming in to play in your house, and you get a chance to you know go make sure that everyone knows that you deserve to be in the conversation for this top of the Sun Belt. You know, and uh, I've got a little humble advice for the Troy game: uh, don't play like you did when you played Troy last time. There it is. I take. Uh, but I, I do think that the fact that this matchup is happening, the return game is happening so soon after that game is terrible for Troy. I'm not going around guaranteeing a win because obviously we saw what happened when Troy played Jorce last time. But don't think that that feeling from that loss and and remembering all that happened that day has left the mind of Coach Lanier or the players. And so maybe a month from now after some more wins Georgia State might have been like a little bit more forgetful of what happened I feel like it's fresh in the mind and I think that it's I would be more worried about South Alabama catching you back than losing a second time to Troy which you know cold takes me Throwing a lot of ice out here you know loss can still happen it's college basketball anything can happen but it feels like the worst thing that could happen for Troy was them playing this game in Atlanta so soon after. I, I just feel like my hunch is that Georgia State is going to be more prepared for what they're going to have to face. Probably not going to want to let another team shoot, let a team shoot 40% from three on you twice. I feel like that will be a point of motivation. And so I guess that that's where my, my I guess my expectations are for this weekend, but you still got to go out there and take care of business four and one still there. Go sweep at home. That's how you do it. Yeah. I mean, you're undefeated at home this year. Let's keep it going. That's really all I have to say. So why don't we uh, keep it going and right on into some questions? What you Man, guys what say? A, what a fantastic segue. Well, thanks Taylor. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, man. You know, real recognize real. I just got to give credit where it's due. All right, so first up, we've got uh, Flying Z 77 on Twitter wants to know, do you think Coach Sean Elliott will fill the running back coach position from the high school coaches clinic? Take it away, Brady. So to the specifics of the question, I'm not sure, though it's possible that it's a coach you would have met at one of these clinics where coaches could come in and talk to the Georgia State staff and start a relationship with them. I... We've talked about it on the, the pod before that if it was another high school, which like Jimmy Smith was to replace Jimmy Smith at running backs coach, it wouldn't shock us. It seems like the, the word is the hire is made, but it's just not made if you know what I mean. And so I don't know that it's specifically going to be anyone at a future clinic. Cause I think that it is 
a hire that he knows who he wants to hire. And so as to the specifics, I'm not sure. Uh, but events like that is how a coaching staff with a lot more recruiting roots in other states than Georgia start to get the relationships in Georgia that fans and that they want to have to be able to really get the Georgia high schools to buy into Georgia state as legitimate program. So still a positive in that regard, in my opinion. All right. So next question is going to be Mike from Marietta, who wants to know, we've reached the midpoint of conference play for men's basketball. Who would get your midseason awards for the Panthers? So for transparency, we discussed this beforehand and we broke it down to, we're going to give out three awards uh, for the year so far, MVP of the season so far, newcomer of the year, and biggest surprise player. Um, I'm going to defer to you guys first because I'm actually interested to hear what you guys have to say. I feel like I should implying don't... that I wouldn't be interested in the first place. Anyway, just <laughs> I feel like this isn't as hard as it has been in years past. Um, I think to me, easily the MVP of the season is Damon Wilson. Um, I think he just does so much for this team. And when he's on, this is a team that's capable of playing into the second weekend. I'd go as far to say that. And even when he's slightly off, you know, he just does so much to help everybody else get involved. And, you know, uh, he puts people in positions to succeed. And he's truthfully taken over that leadership role. Um, that this Panthers team has needed this year. So definitely Damon gets my MVP votes. Um, newcomer of the year. Oof, can I give it to both of the bigs? Um, can't do that. So I'll probably give it to Jalen Thomas. Um, you know, I think as we've watched Georgia state over however many years we've watched them, you know, we've never had bigs who were, you know, forces down low and I think Jalen Thomas has really kind of you know made a little bit of a name for himself here for at Georgia State so far definitely room to grow because but he's young you know he'll get there um and so I definitely want to put him he's a I mean he's a freshman you know so definitely want to put him as my uh newcomer of the year and then I'd want to give my biggest surprise award to Josh Linder um and I, I hate that I have to give it to him because, you know, I've always seen him on the bench, seen him, you know, in warmups and wondered, you know, I wonder what Georgia State could get out of this guy because he's tall, you know, kind of small, a little bit undersized for a big, but he played that, you know, forward position really well. And I'm so happy to see that he has been, you know, the way that he's been utilized this year and the way that he's been you know, contributing for this Panthers team specifically, you know, it might not be the sexiest thing of all time, but he has definitely, you know, taken to the role that coach Lanier has had for him. And, you know, I think he's excelled really done well with that. Yeah, David, I'm definitely not going to disagree with you on Damon Wilson for MVP of the season so far. Uh, I know we kind of like talked a little bit about it, the off season that, um, you know, losing a player like Malik Ben Levy, where someone doesn't necessarily show up, their impact isn't felt on the the box score every game, but somebody that you can just rely on to, hey, we need a rebound. Hey, we need a, you know, you know, we need someone to be able to help run the offense, be able to make passes, just kind of a to avoid using a trope like a glue guy. But he, I think, has stepped into that area code this year for Georgia State, and his impact has definitely been. You can be seen 
far outside just his individual position. Um, but I'm going to differ with you on the newcomer of the year. And I think I'm going to give it to Corey Allen just because he has provided such a spark for the Panthers offense in clutch moments for the Panthers so far this year that I really think that when it comes down to late regular season, you know, conference tournament time, he's the kind of guard, you know, the kind of guy that can take over a game when you absolutely need to just go out and get a bucket. Um, so for the, for that reason, I think Corey Allen's my uh, newcomer of the year. Yeah. I won't differ too much from what either of you guys said, but I would probably pick Corey Allen as my newcomer as well. I'm surprised. I didn't have Damon as the MVP. My mind um, shot well, and he's offered a lot. But for me, it's tough because it really isn't a group with one guy like this team has had in the past. And I'd say I'd argue it's been pretty easy in years past to talk about an MVP because it's been a Demarcus Simons who's just been the scorer, or it's been RJ Hunter. Uh, but I think for me, coming into the year, I had an expectation that Kane Williams could really flourish in a man defense and could continue to take steps forward to help lead the team. And I think he's done that. He substantially leads the team in assists. I think the assists and just the passing when this offense is clicking is what makes this offense the real threat that it is. And so I think that he's led the team. He's taken a step up in that regard too. I think that he's continued to grow from what we've seen him be. And so I'm obviously looking forward to see what he's doing the rest of this year and what he does in his senior year. But I'd say Kane Williams, just because I think he kind of grounds this team. And for my newcomer, I'll say Justin Roberts, um, because I guess I can group him in biggest surprise and newcomer at the same time because wasn't really sure what we were going to get with him uh, just because we didn't really have any. We hadn't seen him play. Uh, he wasn't getting as much. There was a little bit of chatter last year like Corey Allen where it was like this guy can play and everyone's going to see it once he's able to play and he's eligible. Um, there wasn't a ton of buzz, but he's come in, also been a very good passer. He's also been, he's maybe the best on-ball defender in the league. He's definitely the best on-ball defender on the team, I would say, and really persistent. And as he's shown in the last month, month and a half, he can really shoot it from deep. He's just feeling it from deep right now. And offering the ball control, the combination of the elite shooting is just, it's one, something we weren't expecting, and two, it's really added a dimension to the team, a player that we weren't necessarily counting on for what he's providing. All right. And finally, Steve from Fayetteville asks, is there anything new for this year's stadium upgrades and or surroundings? Uh, a lot of that stuff is usually kept pretty tight under wraps, but I will say that if you want to go check out uh, Ben over at PantherTalk.com has done a number of podcasts with Mike Holmes, the associate athletic director for communications, and he's always pretty... Uh, forthright about stuff like that and he just posted one I think last week two weeks ago where Mike talks a little bit about some of the future stuff but to sum it up don't really expect a whole lot this uh, upcoming season but moving forward as plans get rolling and the convocation center starts getting built and things like that you're going to see some more stuff at the stadium speaking of convocation center 
I want to say that they were saying it was going to be uh, construction starting sometime this year, maybe before the summer starts. But uh, until we see shovels in the ground, I don't know that I'm really willing to make a call on that. But I think aside from that, uh, parking lots are still getting torn up to build apartments and everything. So normally this is where I would say tailgating is going to be a little harder. But if you went to any uh, football games last year, then you'll remember they had all the uh, tents on the bricks, as it were, right outside the ticket office. I think they're going to keep doing stuff like that and look for more ways to engage people in the tailgating scene as the parking spots kind of disappear. Which can I take a second? That was a really cool like thing that they did. I really enjoyed yeah. that. As speaking just strictly as a fan going to the games, like it was a cool environment. Yeah, it's some it's something different for sure. I know, especially from the time at the Georgia Dome when the four of us were in the Panther band and then there's pretty much nowhere to tailgate except for the orange lot, and then when they started uh building Mercedes Benz Stadium and that became a giant mud pit and then oh okay, everyone's gonna tailgate in the blue lot, but it's far away from the stadium and it's in the middle of whatever neighborhood that is, and you, the cops are like, "Hey, you have to leave." But if you're in the uh, if you're in the stadium inside the plaza, that's a that's a really cool tailgating environment. I know the folks over at the State of Atlanta podcast have a tailgate that they do at every game, and I think they got tailgaters of the game once or twice. I think, but yeah, those guys are always active over there. There's plenty of people that uh, have their own individual little tailgate groups. It's a really cool environment. I think it's going to be an interesting. Not necessarily unique, but a uniquely Georgia State type uh, football experience as we look to build that kind of tradition around campus. Summerhill restaurants well, I mean, you, are the sorry? environs. Use the environs that you've got. I mean, it, it's kind of a, a little plaza that's built for something like that, and it is unique. And you might as well lean into find it. that little. I mean. It's a little, I don't want to say picturesque, but it's it's a good place for there to be a Panther walk through with the, the tents all there. It's a lot more convenient than having the team go a little bit out of the way to do Panther walk or, you know, find where the fans are and then have to walk a good, a good deal more. Um, whereas now they just walk in the stadium. And yeah, yeah I, I would, I would say that 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 part of it, I, it needs to grow in the sense that there needs to be more tents and more people trying to crash other people's tents and, you know, grow up that part of it and and start to get, as the, the game gets closer to kickoff, more and more people starting to get there and then from there go into the stadium, which is a stone's throw away from where they'd be standing. Exactly. And it's something that's only going to continue to get better as time goes on, because keep in mind, Georgia State doesn't own the parking lots. They they own the stadium ground or actually it might even be a ground lease. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but they have the stadium and then I think they have the green lot. Blue lot. Actually, there was a, a story in the signal, the Georgia State student newspaper uh, earlier this week about how the blue lot is now no longer the student parking area and a bunch of people were upset about that. But that just means that as these parking lots continue to be developed and Summerhill continues to improve, gentrify, whatever, however you want to label it, the area is changing and there's these restaurants going in, there's housing, there's going to be student housing, classrooms, uh, the convocation center, all this stuff going in, it's going to eat up parking space and that's going to cause people to have to tailgate somewhere. And if it continues to be on the bricks inside the stadium, it's just going to keep getting better. 
And you might even see people get into like bidding wars for tailgate spots, which I think would just be irritating if you don't have the money to buy it. But it's still a really cool thing to say, hey, there's enough scarcity for this product that they're selling in these tailgate spaces to make people compete for it. And I think that's really cool just coming from day one of this program and seeing how everything has grown and developed and all of the good parts, the bad parts, and then the time when everyone's like, oh, well, you go to Georgia State games, why? Well, this is why. This is what we're building. This is what, as a fan base, as people that have stake in the school and the program and the tradition, want to see things improve. Well said. Yeah, that was a good question. Uh, all these questions are good questions. As always, thank you guys for sending in questions week after week. Uh, don't be afraid to be involved. We always want to talk to people, even if it's just a Twitter DM or if you see one of us in real life or whatever, just hit us up. We love to talk about Georgia State. That's why we do this podcast. Last couple of weeks have been hitting hard with these listener questions. All right. Well, that's just about it for this week. But before we go, I did want to mention that Brady and David sat down and had another one of their fantastic fireside chats that's now live on the website, went up on Tuesday morning. So if you want to go to thursdaynight.com and check that out, they're talking mid-season Sunbelt basketball standings and how the rest of the season could shake out. That's always worth a visit. And also, next week is, minus one day, a year of the Thursday Night Podcast since we posted our first episode where we talked about who we are and why we wanted to start a podcast. And it's uh, it's cool to see uh, this thing last a year. It's cool to see all the engagement and all the opportunities that we've had and all the support we've had from people like you. So thank you, guys. We'll have a little bit more about that next week. But uh, other than that, I think that just about covers it. So make sure you uh, stay connected with us. Hopefully we have a good result on Thursday and Saturday. And uh, go Panthers. See ya. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.